0: Welcome to the Smart Tech Check Podcast, hosted by Mark Vina. Your home for candid, insightful, and provocative conversations about the smart home. Home automation, security, smartphones, PC and console gaming, and much more.
1: Hi, everyone. My name is Mark Vina, host of the Smart Tech Check Podcast. Today is June 9th, uh, 2022. That's a Thursday. Uh, joining me for today's podcast is Tech Journalism's Dynamic Trio, uh, Stuart Walpin, who scribes for Popular Mechanics, U.S. News, Techlicious, Investopedia, and other fine publications. John Quain, who writes for The New York Times, Smart Cities, and Tom's Guide. And Rob Peguero, who writes frequently on tech policy for Wirecutter, PC Magazine, US and uh, USA Today. Gentlemen, how are you? And Rob, especially to you, how you're feeling better, I hope. You have had a little bit about uh, with our friendly COVID. No, it's not friendly. But
2: uh, I I managed to join the uh, rather uncoveted club of people to get COVID. Although really, it's not that exclusive. Uh, Mm -hmm. Yeah, came, started feeling a bit of a sore throat last Thursday, definitely Friday of last Mm -hmm. week. Had one negative test before going home from this conference overseas, tested negative again Friday night, tested positive Sunday night. So PSA, you can't just take one negative test and think you're done. Apparently, if you're vaccinated and you feel like a sore throat or a stuffy nose, that could be a cold or allergies, could be your immune system getting to work. And it will take a little while before enough virus builds up for a rapid test to turn positive. Good news is I feel much better. Uh, the, the little positive strip in the test I took today was lighter than the control strip, which is a good thing to see. So uh, I think you all are not rid of me yet. Sorry.
1: <laughs> and, and you and you get apparently a, a European strain of COVID. I don't know whether that's good, good, or worse. If you caught it in Helsinki, where you were, um, I guess when you yeah, you there.
2: know, it's uh, it's a, it's a little more exclusive. <laughs> well. Boarded.
1: Well, we we all of course wish you the best of health, and as we wish everybody the best of health as they work through all this. We've got a lot to talk about. I thought we were going to have just a few topics, just given the WWDC um, recap that I want to dive into. But we've had some breaking news. Let me bring that up here. Um, you know, just within the last 24 hours, late breaking news. You know, Netflix apparently is going to acquire, or at least they're in talks to acquire Roku. It's been my, uh, I'm sorry, uh, yeah, acquire Roku, not the other way around. You know, my experience is when information like this comes out, it's always like a planned leak type of thing, it, you know, despite the fact that probably uh, that is not something that the SEC wants to see. But I think a lot of that stuff gets floated or to see how the market's going to react. But, uh, sure. you know, there's sure. been a lot of content. We'll just start with this topic first, and then we'll hit the other one secondly. Been a lot of, you know, a lot of content that's kind of, uh, you know, favorable to such an acquisition scenario. Other, com- um, you know, commentary, you know, what the heck is going on here at, not, you know, not the most complimentary um, acquisition. I actually do see some synergies in it. But um, Rob, let me start with you. I mean, um, A, are you surprised? And B, do you think it makes sense? I'm
2: surprised, but I'm also not sure that this isn't like a lot of the time. These so-and-so is going to merge with so-and-so. It turns out to be some analyst who is basically trying to ship the two companies. uh, (laughs) You know, we push the two together and say, no kiss. you know, it would sort of make sense for Netflix, but on the other hand, like for Roku, it's a net negative because historically they've been able to say we're the Switzerland of media players. Now they would be uh, Germany media players. I don't know what you would call it. <laughs> so I'm not sure the upside for Roku there. Uh, and for Netflix, are they hurting for hardware distribution? Do they feel that they don't have enough control over the actual user experience? I don't know. They um, It seems remarkably consistent to me, whatever, here, I'm looking at my iPad, my Windows laptop, uh, Chromecast downstairs. Uh, I don't feel like my Netflix experience is getting diminished because it's on all these different companies' hardware.
1: Well, you know what I would inject in here, and I'm sure you guys are aware of this, is that you know Roku has is really an ad-supported hardware company. I mean, if you look at their financials, they generate a tremendous amount of revenue on advertising, and Netflix is kind of the uh, has been at least up until today. Has really been a purely a you know, a, a, you know a service plan offering. There, there, there's been rumors about them going down a path with all, start to order um, provide ads. So for me, the, the Netflix acquisition angle makes sense because hey, we've got a, a proven hardware company that knows how to do online digital ads. You know, uh, so
2: mm, that's, that's true. My-
1: anyway, but uh, still,
0: are you going to say something? Well, no, I agree with you. I mean, it makes sense from a Netflix point of view because they really do have to build out an advertising tier level of business and they don't have any experience in that. And Roku has all the experience in the world. Now, this all started because apparently Roku employees were told they couldn't uh, sell any of their vested stock. That's where this rumor started. And Roku did start as sort of a skunkworks inside of Netflix um, whenever they got started. And the founder, Anthony Woods, I think, either yes. work for netflix or had some association with netflix. their first
2: streaming media player was netflix only
0: right i believe so yeah so but yeah. it doesn't make any sense for either one of them from a practical um con- business point of view only because as rob said that they've been considered to switzerland and what streaming company would want to do business with roku if they were owned by netflix and what hardware company would would be interested in supporting Netflix when Netflix owns its competitors, you know, the Apple TVs and the Google Chromecasts of the world. so And the TV makers, obviously, who have Roku as their primary operating systems. So there are so many, there are some positive aspects of this, but I think the expertise that Netflix is looking for could probably be acquired in a way that doesn't impact the other one, their their primary business, which is trying to be on as many platforms
1: as possible. Mm-hmm. John, your take.
3: John, uh, yeah, they they. You guys are right. I mean, historically, these companies made each other, right? Netflix made Roku, and Roku made Netflix. Uh, that's that's how this whole business started even, um, when Netflix didn't stream very well, if you guys remember that, um, (laughs) and Anthony, sure. Anthony is the inventor of the DVR PVR. That's who that guy is. But he decided never to put one. I remember, you know, we'd meet every time he was in New York and he was never going to put that in a Roku box. I was like, come on, put the DVR in. We just want that other aspect. No, he wouldn't do it. Uh, so I think this actually rumor makes a lot of sense to me. Um, I don't think the Switzerland issue is uh, an issue because look, Apple has their own services on their thing. Other people have their own services and streaming. The TV companies all have their own streaming support now as well. Um, And Roku is kind of maxing out a little bit. I mean, because they're in a lot of the televisions they're going to be in. And so that business is already off to, you know, fulfill that. They've got the lock on the, external boxes hardware i mean is there somebody else uh, you know really there's not and uh and they're you know so they're looking for other opportunities too and netflix is having a subscriber problem this could be you know perfect marriage but i agree with you guys too floating this idea as part of it you want to see what those other companies are going to say is there a hear and cry from nbc you know does somebody else not like this idea and they'll see what but I kind of like the idea, but I don't own stock in these companies, obviously, or any of that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, I suspect that if this deal does get consummated, it's actually a real deal. We will revisit this in a future podcast. In a not- <laughs> uh, But let's go back to the other topic that's pretty important uh, is that Europe, you know, essentially the EU wants to pretty much tell, you know, uh, device makers like the Apple's of the world, like the Google's of the world. Hey, guess what? You got to use USB-C. You know so you can use a common charger now yeah. I, I, well, let me just before you John, <laughs> gonna jump in but let me let, let me let me be the voice of the hardware device maker since i'm one of the four of uh, the four of us that has actually worked for hardware companies i'm not really thrilled despite the fact that they have very noble and you know noble aspirations of you know they want to do this from a environmental standpoint you know customer um They'll have to, you know, have to have, you know, 10 different types of chargers and cables in the drawer. I get that completely. I get a little nervous, more than a little nervous when a government uh, agency uh, t- wants to tell a, a privately held company or companies, plural, you have to embrace this type of hardware feature. I mean, that kind of scares me, you know, and, and, not, and, and hopefully there's some common sense compromises as we kind of transition. There's no question that USB-C has advantages, over um lightning because light, the lightning standard has been around forever you know and I, apple obviously and they've been kind of have they've had one foot in the door with usbc as you know because some of their uh, most of their uh, not most of them all of their client piece uh max right. um, mac portables are all usbc there's different variants of usbc you know apple likes to call it I'll say variant. that's not good <laughs> <laughs> yeah i don't want to scare you but john before you jump out of your skin i'll see this <laughs> Well, what's your what's your take on this? You're, you're completely in favor of a company of a company being told what to do. I, assume. I
3: I look I am and there's some cases in which that across the board. Look, there are plugs in the country. You know, you have universal plugs in each country. They're being told what to do. That's the plug you make to plug into the wall. If you want to use electricity, SAE, all these standards, ISO standards, IP protocols, the companies are being told what to do. Not a big deal. Everybody does it. You need a standard. And it, it, this is a contrived standard. It's not the case that technically that that all lightning one is so much better connector and much better capacity and faster speed. That's not true. None of that's true. So, yeah, there should be a standard. This just makes a lot of sense. It's, it's just ridiculous not to. Um, and like you said, Apple is already doing it. It's just like, oh, just just do it already and, and we'll move on. And so I think that having technical standards is is a long history of that. And uh, it, it makes a lot of sense to me. And I, I think consumers
1: are going to be like, hooray, thank you so much. <laughs> so uh, Stuart, do you believe, uh, Do you agree with uh, comrade John? <laughs> John, you ignorant slut. No, I'm, I'm always worried. I'm
0: always worried when governments impose technological standards. I mean, they do so in the wireless spectrum. And usually um, there are government bodies who are experts in this sort of thing um but as we have discussed oftentimes in the past governments don't know what the hell they're doing most of the time when it comes to technology this still has to pass through several other technical and european parliamentary levels it's not due to take effect until 2024 i think apple was already leaning in this direction but i think the one the one hole in all of this is that the eu is saying that they're doing this for environmental reasons to reduce waste and it's as far as I can see, this is going to have the opposite effect. You're going to have all of these people switching to USB-C. all of these Apple households in Europe have all of these lightning collect- connectors and cables in their homes. I haven't seen anything in the legislation that deals with that. I haven't seen any mention of a buyback program, of a disposal. Somebody's going to have to arrange and pay for the collection of all of these soon-to-be outmoded lightning jacks and cables in order to properly dispose of them. And I haven't heard anything about this um, from the EU or from anybody on the tech side. So if they're looking for an environmental impact, they're going to be hit with this completely predictable consequence of all of this waste of the lightning cables being put into the garbage and so I don't see how this solves the problem without them addressing what they're going to do with all of this legacy stuff that, that are currently Europeans own
1: Right, well, that, that, there's going to be a consequence, I think that's essentially yeah. what you're saying Yeah,
0: uh, well, it's not unintended, it's-, it's completely predictable
3: but, but it's free, remember, to drop off your cables and all that stuff at Staples, Best Buy, and all those places in the United yeah, States. Yeah, and That's people awesome. will
0: actually do that.
2: No, but you you know, know, what you want to do is it. collect all the old lightning cables and chargers, find some way to recycle that, put it in right. ammunition it, for Ukraine's army, and then boom. <laughs> it's a real win-win <laughs> except for Russia. Uh, I, I, between you guys on this point, I think... My line is, is this a problem outside of people's houses? So, like, I mean, I hate the lightning cable connector with the fire of a thousand suns. It's useless. It adds nothing. Uh, My next iPad mini will not have that. Unfortunately, one of a headphone jack either. Um, But uh, this doesn't really affect other people's ability to use the gadgets of their choice. I'm I'm glad, John, you mentioned SAA. Like, the, the EU does have a standard, unlike the U.S., for electric car chargers, which is why if you buy a Tesla over there, apparently we'll have the CCS charger that every other electric car does there as well. We don't have that in the U.S., which is crazy. You can't have a system where like, oh, I I can't go to that gas station. I got the wrong connector on the side of my car. We haven't put up with that with gasoline-powered cars. Maybe we did at some point, well before my parents' birth. Uh, And so that's where, yes, you should have the heavy hand of the regulatory state say, nope, stop innovating. We have to pick on something. This is good enough. Direct your energies elsewhere. And, And same thing with like, wireless standards cell phones use public airwaves so yeah they have to comply with certain standards so everybody can play nicely together um i think it's problematic that apple is being so stubborn and not just ripping off the band-aid already i don't know that falls into the category of problems that government has to solve
1: well you know, rob that's remarkably open-minded of you, well, so
2: you <laughs> capable of doing that you know
1: I, I think COVID has, has brightened your, uh, broadened your. <laughs> you know? yeah. I mean, Adam Smith would be very proud of that kind of a comment. Anyway, I mean, the only well, thing I'll just say now, before we hit the next topic, because we've got to get into WWDC, the, the, the only thing I would say is that every, and I, I'm probably more aligned with Stuart on when government tries to do things to help people. When they help, there's unintended consequences. I mean, I live out here, good old out here in California, where for several years, actually for about a decade now, you have to pay for trash bags or your bags when you go to the uh, supermarket. I cannot tell you the problems that has caused from a consequence standpoint, from not only a cost standpoint, but apparently there's a lot of recycling challenges that hasn't, you know, panned out the way um, I think they intended to when they rolled this program out. But I don't know. I I think this becomes kind of a non-issue. If the iPhone 14 uses USB-C, if all future mobile devices that Apple starts to want from this point on, it becomes almost a non-issue type of thing. So anyway, let's go into the the WWDC issue. You know, I I wrote a column about this on my uh, newsletter uh, with the, I think the caption was that, you know, uh, Apple serves up mild salsa, salsa, how did you know at, at, at awesome, this week? Awesome. Yeah, and what I meant by that is that you know, and I'm not, I know all you guys watched it, or at least watched the recap. It really did, there wasn't really anything presented that I could say to a stranger who's a Windows or a hardcore Android user and say, you know what, Apple has figured this out. You have to, you know, throw out your Windows and uh, Android devices and get, go, go get an iPhone and go get a MacBook. Lot There was a lot of stuff you know that if you're in the apple ecosystem it was terrific you know but it's kind of like this you know when when the most exciting part of the announcement is that oh boy the way you can edit text messages within a 15 minute window i'm like okay is that going to change the world i mean certainly convenient glad they they added that you know but but anyway let's let me uh you know before we hit the, the various topics here we may not cover all of them here Rob, did you get the sense of, uh, hey, this is not exactly the the, the, the most uh, critical WWDC you've seen in the last few Indeed. years? Indeed.
2: Yeah. I mean, like, so looking at this iPad, you know, the, the thing that jumped out at me was they will add a weather app to this thing. A dozen years after Apple introduced a tablet, they've decided maybe they uh, could just take the weather app they've had in the iPhone all along and put it on the iPad. Still no calculator, though. That's obviously too difficult. Right. Uh, yeah, it's little stuff. And incremental change is good. Like, I'm, I'm happy that the next version of iOS, iPadOS will not mask the Wi-Fi password as you're typing it, as if that is some, like, critical national security threat. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, the the ad- advances in uh, continuity, the ability to use your iPhone as the webcam for your, your Apple computer, which, given that... How long ago do they ship that sixteen hundred dollar monitor with its own built in camera that I guess now is not good enough to use? Um, yeah, it, it didn't. There was nothing there that was made me think. You know, this this changes my device buying calculus. Well, and by the way,
1: on the continuity issue, you've been able to do that with third party software. Yep. you know, for some time. Now it's gonna be built into the operating system, which is always great because it's natively supported and there'll probably be some performance enhancements because Apple's got it built into the operating system. But to your point, Rob, that's the kind of feature that doesn't light the world on fire, you know? Yeah. God, but you were gonna say something, go ahead. Rob.
2: Sorry, I'm just looking over my notes. see what else did jump out at me? Yeah, you know. Um,
1: In fact, I mean, you had to refer to yeah, your notes. Nice,
2: and- great, but it's not a huge advance over what's there before uh it it is nice that they're paying attention to the mail app because that's been historically neglected for the longest time and and mail thing as you all can attest from how long i take to answer your messages it's a pain to stay on top of but it's also you know better than all the other horrible alternatives to mail
1: now john because i i can't wait to chat with you about this is that because you're a car guy you know i'm i I love carplay I'm the kind of person that would never. I I, they, they flashed up a number. Was it 80% or 90% of people who plan to buy a car would never buy a car unless it had CarPlay support? It was some very high percentage. I'm probably one of those type yeah. of guys. Yeah. But they announced a plan to pretty much take over. You know, my, my, the thing I said in my my column was, well, if they can't announce their own car, we might as well take over all the screens in everybody else's car. And 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 it's you know, and as you know, most modern cars built over the last couple of years, and this is going to be just. It's going to be like a, a, um, an LCD fest in the cockpit of a car going forward. I mean, even my new Audi that I got a few months ago, there's a, I mean, the entire instrumentation panel is completely a big LCD that can change. And, you know, my thoughts is that, now, this is the feedback I want to get, you, uh, get from you, John, is that how do you think the car makers are going to respond? Now, they did say, oh, yeah, we got a lot of car guys that, you know, want to embrace the next iteration of car play, but aren't they going to be concerned about being boxed out? You know, given that there's advertising opportunities that go along with that. And if you allow Apple to essentially take over the entire car, you know, where's the differentiation from a brand standpoint? So, John, what's your perspective on that?
3: Well, the first thing is safety. Remember, Apple doesn't know anything about cars. They don't know anything about safety in cars. They have no experience dealing with any of this. And so having a giant smartphone (laughs) as a screen while you're driving along is probably not the smartest idea. You know, in New York City, I just I had to jump out of the way of a car this morning because the guy was looking at his smartphone as he drove through the intersection in Manhattan in traffic Uh, so yeah probably not a good idea i mean the biggest push actually for apple has been to get them to share the screen most automakers wanted to share the screen and the deal with carplay and one of the problems with it was once it took over the map you couldn't have the map and your radio on the same screen or your hvac or other things volvo finally broke that mold and volvo got them to share the screen and said no 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 you got it we're not going to do it From a safety point of view um i think it's a nice idea um it's probably not they're not taking control of really anything except that screen so it's not like they're not like getting into the inside of your car any of the controls or anything like that so um it
1: it is let me just stop you i mean if you listen listen to the presentation first time if the presentation is to be believed Instead of using the Audi interface to change climate control, you'll be able to use um, uh, CarPlay. And, and, and the, if you want to use, um, change any of the settings or what, what would be controlled by the car's brand um, interface, uh, you'll be able to do that with Car uh, CarPlay. That's what my understanding is. Now, will they pr- will they have? Um, you go to the next step. Whatever type of safety features that that Audi or whoever is building into the car. Will they right. let you control that? I'm not sure. And I, to your point, I'm not sure that Apple, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure Apple wants responsibility for that, honestly.
3: but Well, remember, these are just like, they're not really in the system. These are just like allowing Apple to write to an API. So, you know, it, it's really not controlling and, and Android already does those things. So you can do that in, in Android. Um, but yeah, they're not going to allow access to some of these other systems. You can imagine if they started messing with adaptive cruise control, right? Right. And what the distances are and how fast you were going, the sensor arrays, that's just not a thing yet for Apple. I mean, it really is just extending the screen to give a better experience. Um, And I think it is also anticipating that time when we do have autonomous vehicles and then you can take your eyes off the road and and really look at that screen and see all of that stuff happening. Um,
1: so, you That's know, my in fact. Too, when you get to that vision, you know, which is going to happen at some point or the other, then all right. of a sudden, advertising, since you don't have to worry about looking on the road and looking at the instrument panel, you're going to see chunks of that screen used for advertising. And by the, the car makers know that they want you to be, a, a, they know that, hey, if you're captive in your car for a couple of hours, if right. you don't have to worry about where you're driving, why not watch, uh, you know, a bunch of ads? You know, I mean, so...
3: It is. It's irritating. Waze already does that, too. So I'm driving along and Waze is like, hey, there's a Starbucks. Do you want to stop? And I'm going, no, I thought it was a speed trap you were telling me about. I don't want to know about the Starbucks. So it can be kind of irritating.
1: Uh, Stuart, did you see anything that jumped out at WWC? Anything that, you know, you... Well, the first first thing I want to talk about just discussing
0: this whole general topic is this is a case of heightened expectations. Uh, This is an annual event. This is their developers conference. So what they're really presenting isn't really designed for mainstream consumption or to present anything new and wonderful. Uh, it's to keep their developers up to date on what the company is doing and upgrades in whatever operating language and uh, and, and and things that they're doing that they can write applications and software for. So I, I think we have to be careful about looking for something earth shattering when all they're really doing is letting developers know uh, what's going on. Um, the second thing is that I was very surprised that they introduced the M2 um MacBook Air. Number one, it's not a MacBook Air. It's like a MacBook Pro Mini. And, and MacBook <laughs> Air is a wedge. This MacBook Air, the new one, the M2, is not an Air. It's a MacBook Pro Mini. That's what I'm referring to. But it also could end up being um, a breakthrough product for them because it hits a, a lot of different things. It's, it's powerful. As the MacBook Pro that I have at the moment, but at the price of a MacBook Air, so I think this is this is going to hit a sweet uh, sweet spot for a lot of people. I was just surprised that they introduced it at this show. It, it's I like sad. the, like the text editing thing that you so blithely, you know. Just <laughs> I mean, how many of us have had uh, autocorrect make an embarrassing or silly correction what we <laughs> typed, and we always have to put in asterisk and then type in <laughs> really meant. So I think that's actually a pretty big deal. The other thing I really liked was stage manager. I work on a twenty seven inch Mac, which I'm staring at even as we speak, and I'm often confuse myself with the number of windows I have open and going back and forth between um programs. So I happen to like the, the whole stage manager idea without me having to go down to the bottom and spring up the um the, you know the the trigger awesome. applications at the bottom and just having them all the ones that I have open right there on the side. And I know exactly where they are. So I'd sort of like that again, not earth shattering, but that will certainly, I think that that is going to help my productivity. So
1: I, and, I agree with that on the email improvements. And Stuart, it's a, certainly a step forward. Stage manager is certainly a step forward to making the iPad particular much more um, app for productivity applications because you know the ipad os has had multitasking for some time god knows i haven't been able to figure it out you know it it, it was very very gestural it's so bad you know yeah and i said so the discovery capability i think it's going to be much more um uh compelling frankly and 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 reposition the ipad um as much more hey i could actually create not just um view content but actually create content and use it as an alternative to a MacBook. Um, uh, and the other thing I would say about the uh, the M2 piece, you know what's interesting about that, Stuart? If you look at the benchmarks they show during the meeting, uh, during the presentation, mm-hmm. essentially, the, the, you, know, you, you have to ask yourself, well, well, why should I buy a MacBook Pro 13-inch with an M2? Right, Which that's exactly MacBook, what I was thinking. The reason for it is, is that the MacBook Air, the new one, like the prior one, uses a fanless design. And because it's fanless, they can only run it at a certain um, uh, power rating. So it's going to be very high performing, but not as high performing as a MacBook Pro with an M2 because it has a fan and they can run it at a hotter, hotter a more higher um, um, optimum speed. That's right. But I, th- I think that for a mainstream audience, you're
0: right. I know what you're going to say. You're right. The mainstream audience is not going to be as concerned with that as much as they're going to be with the fact that it's slightly lighter, Lighter, but the fact that it's got all of this processing power for a lot of people who work on the go. And I think the Mac, the old Mac, the old MacBook Air, even the M1 MacBook Air, uh, is not as good as the Pro, but this is now reaching pro levels. And I think this will satisfy a lot of those people who need more than the MacBook Air and don't need or want a MacBook Pro. And I think that's a very large
1: population. Now, Rob, before we get off this topic, I've got to ask you: Were you surprised uh, that there was absolutely zero mention, not a Zippo mention of anything around Apple? Gla- uh, thank you, Apple glasses.
2: <laughs> your I AR- was indeed surprised, yeah. since certain uh, people in the tech universe have not been able to shut up about that. You know, when right. you know, Apple have AR glasses or, or or even VR, a VR
1: headset of some sort? But yeah, well, no I mention think, of it at all. And you would think you know- WW even would have been the perfect platform, maybe not to announce the hardware yet, but to announce a, call it an ARVR OS. So the developers-, want to get
2: developers working on it, tell them what the yeah. confines of the platform are going to be. Yeah, there was right. none of that, which was weird. And I would have thought that would be more relevant to that audience than, say, you know, talking about some version of CarPlay that they will have no role in developing apps for and that is much further out.
1: Yeah. No. And, and I'll tell you what was interesting, too, is that there's been a lot of rumors bouncing around that uh, Apple glasses or whatever you want to call them, has been delayed to second half next year because they're having battery uh, power issues. And, you know, my take on that is, you know, I've always been a bit dubious about um, how this is going to play with mainstream audiences. I always I th- really think that AR VR glasses are really a I mean, they do have some interesting consumer entertainment applications, but where they really uh, shine is in very narrow applications for business operations, you know, warehouses, you know, f- you know, things that are not broadly mainstream. And the reality is, though, if you want to make a mainstream device, you can have something that looks like the AirPod Maxes. I mean, I, I when I walk around my complex, I love the sound of the Air, AirPod Maxes, but they're humongous in, in compared to other devices. And if battery power is going to be a big issue because they're going to have to run a, pr- a fairly fast variant of their Apple Silicon on it. So if this thing comes out and you look like you're from uh, Venus when you put it on your helmet, on your head, that's going to be a big issue. So um, kind of interesting that there was really no mention of it, of, of it at all. Zero. You know, so. Ruben Lager
2: is completely whiffed on that. <laughs>
1: uh, John, John, any last comments before we flip, the, uh, flip to the next one? No,
3: I, I, I agree. We were expecting some things like that, and it's just – like I said before, I think we we're talking last week about it, you know, the technology isn't quite there for a product like that to really make it work. And Apple is, you know, if they're famous for anything, it's for that waiting until the technology is actually available to make that product that consumers actually want. They're, they're, they have that knack for that product and they'll wait for somebody, you know, other people to do it first, but until they get it exactly right. So not totally surprised.
0: Well, you're, one, you're a, one other one other thought on one other thought on this, and maybe Apple has discovered something that I I think I discovered a long time ago. Consumers don't like technologies that cover their eyes, whether it's 3D glasses, whether it's these private theater things, whether it's the Google Glass. No technology that covers the eyes has ever been successful in the mainstream. None, and the fact that. As John said, the technology simply isn't there yet. I think Apple is being very wise in waiting until not only the technology is ready, but whether or not consumers are willing to put technology on their eyes. It simply has not happened in the century that we had consumer technology products. Of all the body parts that have been impacted by technology, the eyes have been the one place where consumers have indicated over and
1: over again, they don't like to put things. Well, and you know what? And I'll just go one step further on this, and I'm going to go to the next topic: is that there has to be a killer app to make this mainstream-oriented. Like any you other know, technology. new technology, yeah, there, needs to be, there, needs to be, there needs to be a Lotus One Two Three or a VisiCalc <coughs> that's really going to make this happen, that it shine. Right. I mm-hmm. personally think that kind of application is going to be something like a FaceTime VR app, where you know you put the thing on, and not only do you see the person, you you see the person as if they're next to you in a room. You know, and it cannot be done without it being, you know, too cute. Who knows? Maybe Apple will figure that out. But let's Life, hit the next. You're talking about live presence, which is exactly <laughs> right. Exactly. So let me hit the next topic here. Uh, Stuart, this is your baby, and I think it's a good one. Uh, is that uh, because we're about to see these the, the, these hearings? I'm using the word char- charitably tonight uh, during prime time, which is a, an interesting dynamic. But you know, for those of us who were in our Teenage years during the Watergate hearings in '73 and early '74—that was a three-network affair, you know. Um, it, not, not, interesting enough, the thing I will say is that I remember, even though uh, it was broadcast mostly during the day and sometimes would go into the evening, it still gathered a, a, a very impressive audience, you know. And even though there were only three networks, of course, around back then, now you've got the, the now you've got cable news, you've got online viewing. The, the, the Democrats are, I guess, are thinking that they'll get better viewership if they do it at, um, uh, if they do it during the evenings. But uh, Stuart, let me get your perspective on this because I know that you're chomping at the bit to give us your point <laughs> of view now.
0: Yes, I've worn down <laughs> my teeth, chomping at the bit. But, um, during the Watergate <coughs> era, I was I was actually in college when that was going on, and you it was a situation of because it dominated because there were so few channels, there was this pre-cable, pre-streaming, you almost had to watch it. There really wasn't much on it. It was either that or Bozo the Clown during the day on channel 11, if you're from New York. You know, so (laughs) there weren't a a whole lot of other channels. You almost had to watch it. And I think the spirit in the country at the time was far less cynical than it is today. Politically speaking, there were far less of the radical divisions that you had today. You had the Vietnam War, which was a real dividing line in the country. And I think a lot of the anger against Nixon was not only the Watergate, but the fact that he was not ending the war, as he had promised. And that was really dividing the country. So I think a lot of it stemmed from there was a lot more political... Uh, I don't say acumen necessarily, but a lot more people were paying a lot more attention to it at the time. And there was a lot more, even Barry Goldwater thought that Nixon had to go. Whereas today, you know, uh, when Trump came up for the impeachment, uh, Republicans stood behind him. So there was a lot less of that divisiveness in the country. But now in an age of cable and streaming, it's not a case of having to watch. It's a case of wanting to watch. And given today's distracted population, (laughs) Uh, they actually hired a TV producer so they yes. wouldn't bore the viewers. And if you have to do that to get people interested in saving democracy, of, of making sure that our that electoral process remains, you know, somewhat secure, that's a really scary thought. So, I, it, and the fact that one of the major, one of the three major 24-hour, 24-hour cable news outlets isn't even going to carry Fox. a live. I mean, well, this, not, I know who you're talking about, so they're, desperate gonna,
1: they're, to make they're, they're putting it on Fox Business. I'm coming on the page, oh, yeah, show. Fox
0: so business same not thing. one, of, on. the three, not one of the three major cable news outlets. It's, it, it's, you might as well say it's on C SPAN. I'm it, it's just not one of the three, and Fox is the single most watched cable news network so it's not going to be on the most watched cable news network um say what you will about whatever the politics of that are but that's just a weird fact and the fact that these politicians think that they're going to gain some sort of attention from this i think they're ignoring that we're nobody it considers the tv the heart of the home anymore at least not for the kind of viewing for the last episode of MASH or Super Bowl kind of things there are just so many other alternatives. I, I w- I'm hoping that people will tune in because it's democracy and this co- democracy it requires an informed populace in order to function correctly. I'm, I'm just very cynical that people are going to tune in and get anything out of this, except that oh, look how well-produced it is. That will be the major comment as opposed to the actual
1: content of it. So, John, I want to get your comments on this because you know what I remember? Because I was a kid. I wasn't in college like Stewart was. I think I was in... Um, <laughs> no, I was... What, 73? I was actually... 74. Nice, well, yeah, 70, well, the hearings began in 73. 73 right. and 74. But yeah. but right. I think I was 8 or 9, 10 years old. I was in... I was uh, 2 eight, years eight. old. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> yeah. the only comment now, Stuart will laugh at this. What yeah. I remember was that during the the uh, that October period there was a lot going on. There was the um the Yom Kippur war was going on during the hearings. But what I remember famously is that the Mets were playing the Reds in the playoffs, and you had it, you know, and remember you only had three channels. Well, you had three networks, they were kind of cutting back and forth between coverage of the hearings. And coverage of the of the what I thought was much more important, the Mets in the, um, in, the play, in the playoffs back in '73. But anyway, John, let me get your perspective on this whole uh, kerfuffle around how this is being handled. Well,
3: it, it is weird. I mean, I think there's sort of I think there's frustration going at this, you know, um, hearings going. Look, they actually tried to overthrow the government and trying to make that point. And people are like, yeah, they're not really reacting to that. So I feel like they feel like, no, no, they really tried to overthrow the government. And so they're trying to really make that point and they feel compelled that the only way as you've pointed out extensively is to do it in the evening, et cetera. With Watergate, I watched Watergate too. I'm not gonna tell you how old I was when I watched Watergate, (laughs) but I watched Watergate too. Um, I was actually staying with relatives in a hotel in, in Lake Placid. And um, being more of a bookwormy kid, I would go into a special room they had there, a TV viewing room, and they were in the dark and there were like four old guys and myself watching those hearings. And I mean, you know, as a young person, it was just stunning to hear Dean talk about, yeah, then and then Al Capone, I mean, Richard Nixon, you know, and it was like, (laughs) what? You were hearing these things that just stunned the country as you were right. It, you know, we weren't as cynical then and we were all kind of shocked. Um, and now John, you're right. people but, are much John, more cynical.
1: But John, just to be fair, you yeah. know, a lot of the material that came out, even if you were a hardcore Republican back in 1973 and thought the world of, of Richard Nixon, it was hard to defend <laughs> anything that his his behavior with the break-in and the way it was handled and my point being is that there was a lot of compelling content whether it was John Dean um who was the uh the uh um,
0: Butterfield.
1: Butterfield Alexander
0: Butterfield revealed the tape the existence
1: of the, the tape the, the, the tape system and that was like a, I mean that was like history in real time the shock there's a recording mechanism in the Oval Office oh my god okay. you know and then you got the the, the uh, Don Dean. There's a cancer on the presidency type of thing. There was a lot of compelling material. I mean, and, and we all know how many movies came out of that. The reason why, and this is my own theory about what's going to happen tonight, is that the cast of characters they may have many of them may have had in their hearts, we're going to overthrow the government. But John Brown, these guys were not. I mean, they were a collection of of of, of clowns. They now the fact that they, it was so um, amateurish, and you had Chewbacca man and all these other guys that decided, hey, let's let's go down to Washington and, and 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 walk around the Capitol and do all kinds of nasty things. I just don't think it it, it was raised to the level of a Seven Days in May, and you know what the reference I'm making to, in you know, a type of of conspiracy. And I think a lot of Americans they say, you know what? Yeah, it was amateur hour. Yeah, maybe they did try to overthrow the government, but it was <laughs> it wasn't very well done you know well i yeah, think that they're when gonna,
0: they're, are going to kill people i mean
3: jeerings, there are people the running early. for their lives right yeah. so yeah, there, it, there, there are people running for their lives and people
2: should take it with the utmost seriousness it really right, was so, an attempt to destroy american democracy right and, and like
3: richard nixon yeah. never stormed the the capitol you know he just yeah, he, 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 he did, did leave
0: well, well, I think what the hearings are supposed to indicate, and this is getting off the topic of the technology, is right. that there was a concerted effort over and above the, the shaman and, and the Proud Boys, that right. there was a concerted effort from the Oval Office to make sure that this was going to happen. So I think that's what the hearings tonight are supposed to really reveal, that it wasn't just a bunch of of, of, of these misled or misled people, that there was a concerted effort from right. the highest levels of our government to put this into effect. So, I, But that I think that gets us off the topic of whether or not televised hearings is the technology that they ought to be employing either solely or in concert with others to get that message out. And I think that's the point that I wanted to raise it's with this. clearly not solely.
2: I mean, you've got to start somewhere. All this viral video that goes viral on Twitter, most of it starts off as a TV clip somewhere. Well, uh, so I, 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 I compare hope no. to Watergate, I by the no. way. I can compare it to watching the Iran-Contra hearings at some beach house down the shore in uh, 88, whatever it was. Uh, and and then, you know, it was starting to be a more fragmented media landscape. And, and that didn't ultimately make a huge amount of difference. But, you know what, no matter what, look, we all write stories not thinking this story is a failure. If every person who should read it doesn't read it, you have to get the story out there.
1: Yeah. That's no, I, agree with I agree. I yeah. agree with that. Yeah. So, Rob, the, the, I just want because we got to get to the last topic here. The last question I have for you. Are you a concern that there's going to be footage of you? under Nancy Pelosi's desk? Is that what you're afraid <laughs> of?
2: <laughs> I, I literally can't remember the last time I was actually inside the Capitol proper. I've been to a few lunchtime panels at the Capitol Visitor Center and the, the House and Senate office buildings, but actually inside the the building with the dome, you know, I'm like everyone else from around here who doesn't actually work on the Hill. I can't remember when I last set foot in that building.
1: Well, all I will say here is, and just final comment on this is, I want so you guys know exactly what my point of view on this is. I don't. Anybody who did that, who disrupted, you know, tried to kill someone, had weapons with them. They should be prosecuted to the to the to the fullest extent of the law. It, it's and I do agree that even when something is amateur Irish, Irish, as some of it was, you know, that still doesn't make it any less serious. So I agree with that. But Stuart, to your point is, the the ratings are going to be the tail of the tape, you know. And if all of a sudden this turns out to be kind of a, you know, a um, Uh, If people are turning into, uh, you know, Gilligan's Island rerun episodes, then then we know we got a problem, you know. And that might be just a function of the fact there's a lot of distractions. And I think that's the point, Stuart, you're making. You you didn't have social media back in 1973. You you didn't have the kind of content for, for even movie volume, you know, conventional movie volume. A lot more content available today through other means that was available back in 1973. So there's a lot of things competing for people's attention, by the way, and smart devices, you know. So we're going to see what happens here. Let's hit our last topic. Yeah, I got to Yeah, because John's got a book. Rob, Rob, this is Rob's topic. I I can't even say the word Nesson because I know what that stands for.
2: This is where I've got to make Mark very upset because we have to say nice things about the Boston Red Sox. (laughs) (laughs)
1: So
2: what we have here is a first Nesson, the New England Sports Network, the regional sports network that carries Red Sox and Boston Bruins games, is offering a direct-to-customer subscription which means you don't need to buy the traditional bundle of 60 other 80 other channels you don't actually care about to watch the the teams and the games you do care about they'll charge 30 bucks a month which is not great but on the other hand you could just watch for the duration of the baseball season then cancel it during the hot stove season and it's something that MLB has been encouraging RSNs to do for a while saying like look you've got to go DTC direct to consumer find some ways so you're not economically handcuffed to the declining universe of linear bundle TV. Now, the question is who's going to follow next? There's a handful of RSNs that uh, Sinclair operates under the Bentley Sports name. Supposedly, they're going to do that at some point this summer. Uh, I don't know who's going to follow. I know it's going to be last. The Mid-Atlantic Sports Network, which carries the games of my currently cellar-dwelling Washington Nationals, as well as the Uh, also seller-dwelling Baltimore Orioles, which is horribly absentee mismanaged. So they will probably go DTC sometime in like 2032. (laughs) (laughs) So it has got to happen. You know, the price can vary, but yeah, if somebody wants to just give you their money and not go through a middleman, you should probably find a way to take their money.
1: And you you were able to say that, make that whole presentation without saying the word Red Sox only once. I'm very proud of you.
2: (laughs) That speaks for itself.
1: You know, um, I, I will say, the, it really goes to this issue. I mean, when, there's this balkanization that's this that's been going on with baseball in that you have, you you know, like for the example the other day, I wanted to watch the Yankee game. It wasn't on, yeah, it wasn't on the MLB streaming. It wasn't um, on, um, I, guess, I guess it was on the local um, it, WPIX or whoever carries it in uh, New York. It was on that Apple package thing. Oh, right. I had to go to three places to find the Yankee Tigers game, you know, and that to me is a thing that's very frustrating that you cannot go consistently to the same source and and get your, your sports content, you know, but uh, this is an interesting, interesting development. You know, John, I know you're not a big, huge sports fan, uh, but any thoughts on this? Do you think you just kind of, uh, so what?
3: (laughs) Yeah, This is not a, a thing. Like I'm, I'm much more of the, uh, I'm a sports fan until it costs, starts costing me a lot of money. Do I really need to watch that football game? Probably not, you know, uh, because I think, well, it's, it's an entertainment, but maybe I'm kind of wasting my time. And now you want me to spend more money on it too. It's like, all right, maybe I shouldn't do that. So that, that's unfortunately, or I figure out a workaround. Like, how can I watch the F1 without actually paying for ESPN? You know, that's the other, other thing I do.
1: So, well, well, Stuart. Before we sign off, because you're a resident baseball guy, what are your closing thoughts on uh, the uh, this development? Well, the first
0: thing that I saw when I when Rob raised the 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 topic was the price. I cannot believe they're charging thirty dollars a month when Netflix people are complaining that Netflix, which has a right. bottomless well of content is charging, what, $21, I think it is now, a month without commercials? I cannot believe that they thought they were going to get away with charging people $30 a month for this when, what, there's one game a day at most, and that's only during baseball season. The Bruins, the hockey season, is one game every two or three days. And and the rest of the content is filler for $30 a month? For five, okay, ten, maybe even twenty. I just, I, I'm stunned that somebody in the people in the boardrooms there thought that thirty dollars was a reasonable price given. Forget the marketplace where Netflix is the most expensive. You can get Apple TV for what five bucks a month or six bucks a month, whatever it is, or Hulu. The whole, the Disney, ESPN, Hulu package for nineteen dollars a month. I just. And plus, given inflation and gas prices, I, I'm just knocked out by – they thought that $30 was a reasonable price for this.
1: Stuart, the only thing I'll say about that is Red Sox fans are suckers. That's all well, I'll say. I guess. I mean, <laughs> I'm, I'm
0: a Met fan, but if if SNY said to me, we, we'll charge you $30 a month you know, for this, I would go – Forget it. I'll listen to the game on the radio. I'll set up a VPN and try to catch even Major League Baseball. MLB.TV is half that price.
1: And that's every game in the planet. I was about to make that comment. But anyway, we've gone almost 50 minutes, which is, I think sets the record for our longest podcast. But guys, (laughs) listen, thank you you for taking the time to join me for today's podcast, for our viewing and listening audience. Thanks for making the Smart Take Check podcast. podcast part of your day or commute please make sure that you hit the like and subscribe button buttons at the end of today's podcast and don't forget to follow me on twitter at mark tech guy and until next time have a great week and i'll have guys have a great weekend you too thanks <laughs>